The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So let's take our Bibles. I think, did everyone get a study sheet? All right, let's take our Bibles. Go to, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 with me. We um, began a new series on the grace of God. And uh, the term, when we talk about the grace of God, so often we, we really fail to understand the, the depth of what we're talking about. It's one of those subjects that is so, it's so deep, it's almost impossible to fully comprehend um, what you're talking about when you, when you say the grace of God. Uh, but we've, we've looked at, we've dis- begun describing grace. Um, we, we've looked at the fact that grace is exceeding, is great. We talked about that. We talked about grace as sovereign. It is all of God and none of man. And we talked about grace as rich and the richness of the grace that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now today, we're going to continue describing grace by looking at the next point on our on our study sheet and that is number D and that is that grace is exceeding grace is exceeding if you look with me at 1st Timothy chapter 1 beginning at verse number 12 we read and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me I want you to pay close attention there Before we were saved, before the grace of God fell upon us, we could not please God. Our best efforts. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, that all of our good works are as what? Anybody know? Filthy rags. We present, we bring our best efforts to God and God says, filthy. So before God's grace came upon us. We had no ability to please God. We had no approach to God. But Paul tells us that he has enabled us. For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, he says. Now look at verse 13. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, and unbelief. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, we haven't prayed yet, so let's, let's go to the Lord for, for a brief prayer. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful grace that we're talking about. I don't think in our hearts and minds we'll ever fully comprehend how wonderful your grace is. But help us today, Lord, to learn some things about your grace and about your, your interaction and your personal relationship with us. Bless us now as we study, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice the words of Paul in verse 13, where he states, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, from this statement made by Paul... Are we to assume from, from this that men are not held in guilt for their sin uh, because of ignorance? 
Um, well, we've all heard the manifesto, ignorance of the law is what? No excuse. Um, because the responsibility to understand and know the law rests upon the individual and not upon the law itself. So ignorance of the law is no excuse. And so we must not mistake Paul's statement here as offering an excuse for the actions that he talked about in the earlier part of verse 13, being a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. We, we can't assume that, that, that because he did these things in ignorance that God will overlook them. And so many people have this opinion when they do something wrong, they say, well, you've heard it. Well, God, God understands. Someone fails to honor God as they should. Someone fails to worship God as they should. And what would they say? In an effort to ease their own guilty conscience, they'll say, well, I know that the Lord understands. But I'm here today to tell you that he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand disobedience. He doesn't accept disobedience. He doesn't tolerate disobedience. You see, we know that every part of creation bears witness of God. There's no one that can say, well, I didn't know about the law. I didn't know about God. I didn't know about these, these things that you're discussing. In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4, we read, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. You can go to the most remote most uneducated corner of the world and you will find people and those people will have a concept of a supreme being, will they not? They will have, they may not know and understand God in, in, in his full uh, disclosure from statement, but they will, have a, they will have an understanding and they will have a knowledge of a deity. So God's presence in this world is, is known to all men and all people, all kindreds of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So let's, let's get that excuse away right now. The heavens themselves declare that the, the glory in, of God and the power of God. So we can truly attest that there is no ignorance of God in man. Even the atheist by his own profession of unbelief in God, must concede that he had to go through an intellectual process, if we can call it that, to arrive at his conclusion. So even the atheist who does not believe in God had to at some point at least consider a God. So there is no ignorance of God. Even society itself by virtue of its own codes of ethical and moral behavior, must concede that it acknowledges a difference between right and wrong, between acceptable and unacceptable behavior. Now, certainly we can say that as time progresses, there's less and less of a, of a, of a, uh, 
of a difference and a distinction, but 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 even society has to un- agree that yes, we we had to go through a process to come by right and wrong, and and in that process we did have to consider God in some fashion. So God is definitely there's no one who's ignorant of God. So so Paul cannot possibly stand on the fact that he he knew nothing of God. Rather, he uses this phrase to describe his former state and condition. What he's saying is that he was a blind, ignorant bigot, an unbelieving and hardened creature, and as such was an object of God's mercy, God's pity, and his compassion. And God, who is rich in grace, poured out his grace in excess to Paul. Exceedingly. That's what Paul said. He said, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. God God poured his love out in excess to Paul. Now, Webster defines exceeding as to go beyond, to surpass, to excel, to outdo. So when we talk about God's grace being exceeding, we're, we're, we're talking about all of, these, uh, all of these adjectives, going beyond, uh, surpassing, excelling, outdoing. So I would like to ex- expound on this definition and give you some things to think about today when we talk about the exceeding grace of God. I got some bullet points on your study sheet. Let's go through those one at a time. First, God's grace goes beyond human imagination or understanding. It goes beyond human imagination or understanding. Listen, you and I cannot possibly imagine. We don't we don't have we don't we don't have a framework. We we don't have a foundation whereby to even imagine how great the grace of God is. Because we've never seen anything so great. We were I, I remember a few years back, if you some of you might remember on a Sunday evening, we took some time out and went out back over here and we watched the eclipse of the sun, the solar eclipse. And um I remember Pastor was just simply, he was, he was amazed by that. He was utterly amazed by it. And, and he was actually emotionally moved by seeing the greatness of God and his ability to manipulate and control the universe. Listen, that's, that's nothing. That's nothing compared to the grace that you have this morning. I mean, I get goosebumps just talking about this. God's grace is beyond our ability to even imagine. And certainly beyond our comprehension, beyond our ability to understand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes this, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. 
For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. This is why... This is why only they who possess the Holy Spirit, only they who possess the Spirit of God can know and understand the wisdom of God and can even in a small way fathom the grace of God. You know, before I was saved, I I just didn't understand these things. How many of you before you were saved ever tried to read the Bible? Any of you? Just couldn't do it, could you? Couldn't do it consistently. I remember when I was in the military, I had a, a guy who worked with me, and he was, he was a Christian. And, and I remember my curiosity got piqued one day, and he loaned me his Bible, and I started trying to read the Bible, and it just didn't mean a whole lot to me. It were great words. It were great truths. They just didn't, they just didn't, didn't mean anything. Now... And after, after I got saved, and now I sit down and read the Bible, and quite often I, I, I begin to weep. I begin to weep when I read about the great love that God has for us and the, and the wonderful things that, that he has provided for us. I'm moved now when I read the scriptures. Why? Because the, the truth of these things are revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, Paul writes, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. You see, if we, if we, if we rob our own soul of the word of God, then we rob ourselves of what? Of the knowledge of the truth of God. This is why so many believers fail and fall in their lives. Because the very thing that will sustain them, the very thing that will give them courage, give them strength, they, 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 they ignore. They neglect. Listen, the Spirit will reveal all truth to us through God's Word. This, is the, this book is the most important thing you own. It is the absolute most precious gift God has ever given to us. Because this is the heart and mind of God. It It should be the main emphasis of our lives. Yet so many people never read it. Never study it. Never meditate upon it. Every day at work I, I go for a, a, a walk during my lunch break. And I know all the people in, in the buildings that I walk by must say, oh, there goes that crazy man again. Because as I walk, I'm talking. I'm talking to the Lord. And I walk and I talk and, and I think about things. And, and I even thought about this lesson this week and how I wanted to try to present this. And Oh, when the word of God becomes a real part of our lives, it transforms us. This is what Paul was talking about when he said to renew our mind, the transformation of our minds. The word of God will change you eternally from within. It'll change you. Listen, we can try to clean up the outside all we want. 
Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you're like whited sepulchers. You make sure the outside looks really good. But inwardly, what did he say? You're filled with dead man's bones and all uncleanness. Listen, we'll never fully understand the grace of God until we get in the word of God. And until we allow the spirit of God to teach us those truths that only he can teach. Don't neglect your Bibles. And don't let your children neglect their Bibles. Make it important. Make sure they understand how important it is. This is why your unsaved relatives and friends cannot understand why you are so devoted to God and why you're so devoted to your local church. Maybe they've never said anything to you, but I I guarantee you, they watch you every Sunday morning as you come out of the house all dressed up with kids in tow, and you put them in the car and you drive away to church. They watch you. They see you and they, they say, man, why do they do that? What's wrong with those people? And then you do it again on Sunday night. Or at least we should. We do it again on Sunday night. And your neighbors will get out of there. Sunday morning, Sunday night. And then you do it again on Wednesday night. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Listen, they don't understand it. And they, the reason they don't understand it is because they can't receive it. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul wrote, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They can't understand what you're doing and why you're doing it, because they don't possess the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul wrote, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. By the way, a lot of people who claim to be believers also think it's foolish. Our churches today are filled with people. You know, Jesus talked about the tares amongst the wheat. Our churches are filled with weeds. It's filled with people who sit in the pews and hear something like this and they say, what? What? What, what is he talking about? I don't, I don't understand what he's talking about. Well, yeah, because natural man cannot perceive the things of God. Search your hearts. Search your hearts and, and, and know that you're saved if you are. If not, then, then turn to Christ and receive him. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, what? It is the power of God. We understand. We understand. So first, God's grace goes beyond human imagination and understanding. And folks, I don't have time. I don't have time to fully develop these points. You're going to have to go into these scriptures and study them yourself. Because it would take me, uh, it would take me 100 years to, to, to thoroughly teach the grace of God. Secondly, your second bullet point is this. It surpasses our human expectations. It surpasses our human expectations. Turn with me real quickly to Luke chapter 23. Let's go real quickly to Luke chapter 23. And we'll begin at verse number 39. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Now this is... This passage of scripture is dealing with the the two thieves on the cross that hung on either side of Jesus. 
We begin in verse 39 and we read, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I can, I can, I can assure you, that thief that hung on the, on, the, on, the, on the side of Jesus, who called upon the Lord for mercy, he had no expectation of what he was about to receive. He had no idea. He, he had no idea what God was going to give him that day. It, it, this grace surpassed his, his, his wildest imagination, his expectation. He could not possibly expect what the grace of God was going to do for him at that point. Allow me a little liberty here to expound upon this and, and focus on the thief that was converted. Let me just say he believed in God and acknowledged his sovereignty. This thief, as he hung there, he acknowledged that Jesus is very God and that he was, he was in charge of all things, that he was over all things. Secondly, he realized his own guilt. He told the other thief, he said, what are you doing? Don't you fear God? You and I deserve to be here. But this man has done nothing to be here. He acknowledged his own guilt. Have you ever come before Christ and, and told him, Lord, I deserve to burn in hell. I don't deserve the grace and mercy that you've shown upon, that you poured upon me. Unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians today are walking around like, like, like the Thanksgiving turkeys. Big Tom turkey with their feathers all out. And, hey, look at me. I'm God loved me. God saved me. Listen, I'm so thankful that God loved me. I'm so thankful he saved me. But there's nobody deserves hell more than me. You better watch out. You better watch that pride. You better rein it in. Because if it were not for this exceeding grace we're talking about today, you wouldn't even have a hope of seeing heaven. I don't, I don't think this thief expected that he would ever get to heaven, but he just said, Jesus, please remember me. Think about me when you, when you get to your throne, Lord. Remember me. He had no idea that Jesus was going to bring him with him and set him right there next to him. And love him for the rest of eternity. He, de he desired eternal life. This thief had no hope, but he desired to be with Christ. He did not expect that he could ever hope to receive mercy. He, he expected to die in agony and, and receive his just rewards, but he had no idea that God was going to redeem him by his grace and reward him with all of eternal blessings. And so are we today. Such is our case. Listen, you don't deserve anything. You, you don't deserve a thing. Don't sit here and, and say, well, you know, I deserve better, Lord. Look at Job. Job. Job did no wrong. He sat on the heap and he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This thief, had, God's grace exceeded, surpassed his expectations. But then thirdly, 
I want us to see this morning concerning the exceeding grace of God. It is ever increasing in its scope and magnitude. In essence, there is no end to the grace of God. That's what I'm saying. There's no end to his grace. We can never, we can never use up God's grace. We can never push the envelope and reach the end of the grace of God. It is ever increasing in its scope and magnitude. In Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah writes, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spread out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Listen, God's grace causes us to grow. Just like that tree, God's grace causes us to constantly grow and, be, and ever increase in, in the knowledge and the understanding of God. At least, may I say, it should cause that. Our hunger to understand the grace of God should lead us on a journey that never ends. Every day we should learn something more and new about the grace of our Father. There's no limit to God's grace. And then the next bullet point is this. It is greater than our faults. It is greater than our faults. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nothing greater than the grace of God. It is greater than our faults. This is why he is able to save us to the uttermost. Because his grace exceeds our sin and our guilt. Without the grace of God, there is no good that we can do to gain the mercy of God. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16. The young ruler came to him and said, And behold, one came and said to him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And we all know the result of this question. Jesus, When Jesus told him what he had to do, in Matthew 19, 22, it says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. Because basically, Jesus had just told them, there is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. It is all of God and his grace. Yet, for we who are under the grace of God, let me just say this, and and don't take it out of context, there is no wrong that we can do to keep us from the mercy of God. There's no wrong that we can do to keep us from the mercy of God. First John chapter 2, John tells us this. <laughs> My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, because John knew that we will, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Consider the truth we find in 
in 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, where John says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? How? Because God's grace is greater than our sin. We still abide in this flesh, don't we? My hands still have the ability to do what they, what they once did. My mind has the ability to think horrible things. My mouth has the ability to speak terrible things. I can do hurtful things with my hands and feet. Sin still dwells within me. Sin resides within me. But the grace of God is greater than my sin. And it is that grace that helps me and enables me to live a life of righteousness, a life of holiness in the presence of God, through the Spirit of God, by the power and by the nature of Jesus Christ, which has been imputed unto me. But folks, we have to, we have to, we have to live that life. Because Paul did say, to whom you yield your members, his servants you are. Do you yield your mind and your mouth and your heart and your hands and your feet to, to the flesh? If you do, you're going to live in sin. But if you yield these things to the Spirit of Christ and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and live your life enabled by Christ, then you will walk in truth. So grace is great. It is sovereign. It is rich. It is exceeding. But then letter E on your study sheets, grace is manifold. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now to understand this, uh, once again to understand this, we have to understand what, what is meant by the word manifold, and of course it means of diverse kinds, many in number, numerous, or multiply. So we're talking about many, many different uh, Things in our life, many, many different forms of the grace of God that, that, that impute our lives. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this point today because I have an entire section of this study that's devoted totally to the different applications of God's grace in, in our lives. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on with this point today. But let me just say that there are a diversity of facets to the ministry. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul said, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In verses 11 and 12, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And we're all given different gifts by the grace of God. And those gifts we use to serve the Lord. We have different gifts. Diverse gifts. Uh, brother brother uh, Bob back there has a gift of knowing what to do with those knobs. If I was back there, we'd all be holding our heads and screaming right now because we'd be hearing screeching sounds. Huh? I can't do that, but he's been given gifts. You've been given gifts. And, and we, we use all of our gifts together. The manifold graces of God, we use them together to serve him. So we have a purpose in the church. In Ephesians 4.16, we read, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body 
unto the edifying of love in itself in love. My heart has a specific job. My kidneys don't do the same job as my heart. Right? My eyes don't do the same job as my feet. My lungs do a different job than my liver. But all together, what do they form? Me. Wonderful, gracious me. And so we have many different parts to our body, but they all join together. They all come together to form the body which works in harmony and unity. And this is where we are in the church. So <clears throat> we'll, we'll look at that more down the, down the line in the study. But let me just say this, and I've got to close. But grace is all sufficient. I'm not going to have time to develop this point, so I'll come back to it next time, next time we, we, we get together. Uh, grace is all sufficient. It's all we need. It's all we need. I, I like to tell people this. When you get to the point in your life, when you come to the point where God is all you have, you learn that God is all you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need, you don't need, you don't need anything else. If you have God, you have it all. And his grace is all sufficient. It's all we need. He will see us through all of the difficulties that we face in life. God's grace is all sufficient. We'll look at that more next time we meet in two weeks. So thank you for being here this morning. I have to dismiss, and you, you are dismissed for 10 minutes. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.